Mentor My Mix is made possible by PureMind Music and Audio Production Institute. Evolve your sound with expert trainers and up-to-date courses designed to fit the needs of emerging artists and producers. Go to PureMind.com for details about the San Francisco campus and online programs. Today, I am very fortunate to have as my guest, Jor Vanderpol from Berlin, live from Berlin. Jor, how you doing? Hi, Greg. Doing very well. Thank you for the nice introduction. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. How is life in Berlin over there right now? Good. For me, it's very similar to life in anywhere else because I'm mostly here working from home. But it's nice that when you have a weekend, you can actually go somewhere as opposed to where I lived in the Netherlands. So far, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Just as a little background, Jor, you've been on the Pyramid Mentorship Network for a few years now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and you've been consistently delivering us amazing content. And now we've got a whole brand new class with you on performing live with Ableton. Yes, yeah, the Ableton. Yeah, I think I've been on for three years maybe now as a mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, I did some videos before. I'm doing a lot of lessons, of course. And now I was very happy to make this first, this course, because it's also something that yeah, is very close to what I like doing. And it's something that I'm involved in a lot just in my daily personal life as well. So it was great to be able to make a course about that for you guys. Yeah, we're very excited about the content that you've delivered and very excited to share it with our audience. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, where are you from originally, and how did you end up living in Berlin? I grew up in the Netherlands and there I did some, like I, I started playing drums very early and then I went into music education there for about a year or two. And then I got really from that, I was up until that time doing a lot of acoustic stuff and just band life basically. As a drummer? Some, some, as a drummer, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, I was, didn't know that. There was, a very, there was a very beginning and then at that time I still wanted to be famous drummer which has to, uh, changed quite a lot since then but then i felt like also i was doing some classes already and i was doing a lot of online work for videos and stuff like that so i felt it would be better for the time zone to live in the us or at least us time zone and then the us seemed pretty tricky to get into so i actually uh, ended up in vancouver in canada where I lived for a couple of years until my visa expired. And by that time, I had basically the, yeah, I had the option to choose where I was going to live because all of my work was then online based. And I made a list of countries, basically, that seemed cool, list of cities. I If I remember correctly, I had Singapore on there. I had uh, Berlin on there. I think I had LA on there. But it ended up being Berlin because very easy as a European and there's a lot of stuff going on here and I've been here now for for three years. Musically a really vibrant town huh? Yeah there's always uh -huh. parties going on and the, um, like in the Netherlands there was a nice switch because in the Netherlands there's quite of an active especially electronic scene as well but then when I went to Vancouver it's at felt a little bit like going back in time to a grunge 90s and now in berlin again it feels like a very a lot of a lot of people exploring with weird sound design and it's still mostly like techno based and dark techno beats but there's a, a lot of experimental stuff on the surface as well and so i've yeah i really like living here so far lots of opportunities to play live as well 
Yeah, and obviously that's at the focal center of what we're going to be talking about today. Can you tell us a little bit about any uh, formal training or education that you've received in music and audio production? Yeah, so when I was, I think, 10, I started with the drum program, which was pretty formal. Of course, when you are at that age, you want to be playing a full drum kit, but I got like the classical training. So you start with three years of snare drum or something like that, and then you get your like your percussion certificates, and then you you can get and then you need to train on a a more like melodic instrument I, I i played a marimba and that kind of stuff and then i got trained in that as well and then later i went actually to to a music school in in the netherlands but i i found that a lot of at that time and especially at that place maybe as well it, it was tricky to do exactly what i wanted to do a lot of it was focused on bands and on classical music and now i'm actually very interested in that but at that time it was like okay i want to do that stuff that i see the guys do on the internet so from that point on, I became more self-taught and I did some online courses and checked a lot of videos, read a lot of software manuals, and that's how that sort of started. Oh, you're the guy who actually reads them. Yeah, one of the few, yeah. 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 I always hear people say that, but it's, yeah. And some of them are really good. Some of them are really boring as well, but I always like when a uh, software developer spends a lot of time on the manual as well. Plus, I need, for the teaching, it's important to also explain like like why something works the way it does. Except instead of just explaining like like what it does, it's also good to to be able to explain the reason behind it and anything like that. Mm-hmm. And at what point did you realize you had a gift for instruction? Um, I don't know. I think from giving the lessons, it wasn't. It didn't start as, uh, as as smooth as I wanted it to be. My first lessons were actually with a full class, and it was also online. So I had thirty people watching me. I was very nervous, and it was difficult to keep track of everyone. But at some point, I started to, yeah, I started to notice more. You get a really good sense of how different people learn after a while and that it's very different for everyone. So in the beginning, I would have this fixed sort of program that I thought, okay, I need to explain this to these guys and then uh, they will learn some great new things. But later, like through experience, I found that it's way more important to really focus in on, on the student itself, what they're goals are and there's also a lot of things that they might want to know but they don't know that they want to know those things yet so it's also a matter of telling what the options are which directions you could take and mapping out the roadmap if that's a correct phrase and showing them where they can go if they learn certain things and making it very personal and based on their interests because that's that's I think that yeah that's I think that's that's the most important thing is that you find someone someone's passion and you focus on that and you help them to expand those interests. Yeah, and it's also I think it's partly what you're alluding to is oftentimes students don't know what they don't know. So in many ways, your responsibility and gift is to be able to shine a light on those things that help them help them find their path. I find that to be true with a lot of people who have deep passion for music, but they are not, they don't really know what the options are and they don't really know the methods behind getting things done in a consistent fashion. So helping to open those doors and shine a light there makes a big difference for people. Yeah. Yeah, and this was interesting for me. Like when I started out, the thing there that you need to learn as an educator or as a teacher is like what what I used to do was I would start explaining this topic that I already knew was 
great, awesome topic and it would help you to make, but I wouldn't explain exactly why they needed to learn that. So if you don't, if you don't, if you're not able to tell the importance of something or to show the importance of something, then it's easier for people to get distracted. So it's also really showing them why things are really cool or why you want to learn that because it helps you to achieve that other thing that you do already know about. So yeah, that was an, uh, that was an interesting journey in my, in my teacher sort of life. Yeah. So in your own personal development process, you're telling us you started on the drums, but I know you're quite facile composer and good on the keys now. At what point did that transition happen for you? And would you consider the keyboard to be your primary instrument now or are the drums still considered your primary instrument? No, definitely, definitely keyboard now, I think. I haven't played drums. I, and now I only play drums in, in music music stores because I don't have a kit anymore. So it's that that happened because I think it happened towards the sort of end of my playing in bands phase and then going into the sort of production phase. I realized that at, with bands, it was sometimes difficult to, I guess it's always difficult to communicate and everyone has a different level of enthusiasm and motivation and uh, discipline. So at some point I thought it would be great if I could do more stuff myself so that I don't have to rely on this many people in order for something to work. And also if you record a song, it's nice to be able to actually make that sound as, as pleasant as possible so that you can actually upload it without having to rely on an external guy. So I took that principle and I used that for yeah for learning about mixing and then learning playing instruments as well. I first actually started with guitar as my melodic instrument and I'm still playing guitar as well but when I got the piano that I noticed okay this is really this is now my main thing you have your full 88 keys you can play at, at least like you can play all the chords that you want to play on guitar you're still a little bit limited in that sense so it's just a I think the best composing instrument as well for coming up with ideas and different sections of a song. Mm -hmm. And did you, were you self-taught in that capacity after going to music school or was that a, a part of your studies at music school originally? Yeah, so I already knew music theory and stuff like that, but so I knew I could point out where the chords were and where the skills were, but it was, but I always learned it in a very formal sense. So it was more about taking that knowledge and, and actually building just speed on the instrument and, and getting to know the tricks and stuff like that. I had a little bit of lessons in music school for piano just one hour a week but with just that is not gonna bring you very far you need to really dive in yourself as well and come up with new exercises and come up with new things to keep you motivated as well mm -hmm. so i had to start with a teacher but mostly it's yeah it's the same approach watching youtube videos reading books and mm -hmm. trying out different things yeah, exactly why we're bringing on board uh, some great new piano for producers classes in this coming month here. We've got a whole bunch of fantastic content that uh, we've been working with a partner on that we'll be sharing with everybody soon. But we realize how important that is too uh, when you're training music producers to have facility on the keyboard just makes you so much more capable in the studio and in working with other artists and engineers and particularly in the songwriting process just gives you so much more facility so it's definitely a focal center of what we've been putting together and teaching at Pyramind. 
Yeah, and one thing as well with I would say when you start with an instrument, yeah, that when you start with an instrument, I think in a lot of cases um, it's a very good thing to start with a teacher um, when it comes to guitar but piano as well because otherwise you're gonna learn you're gonna learn some like wrong things. Not that there's necessarily a wrong in music, but you can actually, if you're using the wrong fingers, for example, to play a scale, you can make your life a whole lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. And with guitar, you can even start getting wrist injuries and stuff like that. So that just the beginning phase, and I also think regular checkups with a real professional or real teacher can help you to stay on the right track and to not drift into bad habits too much. Definitely. So at this point, you've been playing for a while now, obviously, composing, writing, teaching. What do you consider your music production superpowers to be? Where, where do you feel like your skills are leading you in terms of your top abilities at this point? Yeah, I see this with students as well. Superpowers to me are, are the things that, that interest people the most because that's if you're really fascinated by something or some aspect of music or of your instrument, then that automatically become your superpower because you, you focus on that so much that you get a lot of training with it and you get really verbal about that specific topic and for me I, I find myself drawn to the technical side quite a lot I really like figuring out how things work so whenever I get a synthesizer that's very confusing it really gets me enthusiastic about it about learning it and it's a little bit the same with music theory as well as, as soon as I got into that I noticed that you can go so deep in exploring different or early 1900s and spectral music and there's just so much madness going on there so <laughs> for me i guess the superpower is is figuring things out like getting a challenge or getting like a complex set of ideas and then seeing how how i can use that in my music or how i can make that my own yeah and i think uh, that's also revealed in how you present your ableton live performance class delving into both the Cliff X side of things and the MIDI programming side of things that really gives you a, a deep level of control of your live set. And so for me, it was the same with Ableton as well. I mean, it's called Ableton Live. So you think, all right, this is going to help me tremendously in making my live set. And of course it will, but then it doesn't actually give you an instruction on how to do it. And it's very flexible. So that for me also, it posed a challenge of, okay, how am I going to lay out my music here? How am I going to, which controller should I use? Which other device or other software? Do I need other software? So for me, that these starting out in Ableton and live performance just started with a search for the different things that I could use and checking out all the different options because once you what's out there you can actually pick and choose the things that that fit most to your style or to exactly what you want to do. Yeah and at what point did you expand your palette beyond Ableton's limitations in and of itself to incorporate other tools like CliffX? For me it was mainly because it's, it was also just a little bit of a practical thing. Like I had this music that was a little bit tricky to perform. There, there's a lot of tempo changes and a lot of key changes in the middle of the songs. And I had a difficult time gluing that together in a live performance. So 
I, I needed to make some decisions about that. I couldn't go with the regular sort of clip launching stuff. So I decided I wanted to play piano in my set. And what I did is I, I exported the tracks that I had in different stems. And then I chose the melodies that I thought would be most interesting to play. And then I kept those out of the stem. So now I basically have my songs that were stripped down from like the main melodies. So those I could play on the piano. But then I got a new problem, which was that if you're using both hands on the piano, it's very difficult to do other stuff and do effects and do things like that because I needed to be playing all the time. So this is where I got more into the scripting side of things where I thought, okay, I need to automate some actions for me. I need Ableton to do this specific thing for me at this specific moment, which could be, for example, resetting three knobs on a device and then changing the volume on another track. Like I needed to to very precisely be able to control multiple actions in Ableton. This is this is where CliffX sort of came into play. Actually, this started with me um, making my own Python script for my for one of my controllers, but that wasn't enough, so, so that got me into CliffX. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a phenomenal tool in that regard. So l let's talk about a few other things before we go too technical here. I know it's fun to get into the technical stuff, but I want people to be able to get to know you a little bit better. So what what are you spending your time working on most these days? These I have a pretty full schedule for myself, which I think is is important as well in this thing is that you you need to be really conscious about the time because there's so many different things that you can do so for me always on friday i will schedule my next week from monday till friday again and i will have my blocks per day so for example this week i uh, start at six then i have one and a half hour of uh, piano practice like divided into practicing skills and then practicing songs and then practicing new ideas and then i usually work on compositions I'm trying to learn more about film scoring and just composing music in a very dry, like on paper, basically, because I was always fascinated by those composers that could read a score and then just know what it sounds like. I thought then you must have a very deep sense of music and intervals and chords and notation in general. So I really wanted to learn that. So that's one of my new projects. And then lately I've been getting into this, um, I know you said not to get too technical, but this, since you also asked what f fascinates me, lately I've been getting into this algorithmic composition where you start with a very, a very short idea, code-based idea, and then you use different code snippets to transform that idea. So the music takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. That has been really fascinating to me because it's such a new way to think about music after doing this for so long. And then the last step, which honestly starts to feel a little bit more like a task lately is finishing my album, which has been finishing songs that has been on the list for a while. Yeah, you've been working on this album for a good bit of time now. This has been a big project for you. Yeah, I have some songs on there that, that are almost six years old now, and they kept transforming and like getting into new shapes and I fell into some of the own pitfalls that I always tell students not to do. But <laughs> it, has been, it, has, it has been fun. It has been uh, a lot of exploring as well, but now it's at the point where I have maybe 12 tracks and I just need to finish them. So I need to block time for that. I noticed that it's tricky to finish things if you just have and have half an hour like you, you really need to focus for it so i want to i think in a month or so i want to get one month completely dedicated to doing that so i can really get into it and finish that which will be very exciting finally time management such a big part of being a successful artist and entrepreneur 
Yes. Right? You, yeah. I mean, you're telling us yeah. your day starts at 6 a.m. Is that right? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. 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 That's the that's the goal, at least. Uh -huh. uh, usually, I, I stick to the goal, uh -huh. but it's tricky. There's so many different things and i noticed this, this with students as well like often especially when they first start out in the first lesson they they ask me hey i've heard about mastering and i've heard about mixing and sound design and music theory and playing piano and which one of these should i learn and i'm always like it's you want to know a little bit of each of them at least it's just it's a lot of work mm -hmm. and if you don't schedule it for me at least maybe maybe other people get, can get a completely natural flow in it but for me i know that i need to schedule things otherwise i get lost in all the different things to do so i use that what do they call it the pomodoro technique or something oh, yeah. where you just set an uh, a watch for an hour and then you do that task for one hour and then you can really focus on that and you don't get distracted by other things that you could potentially do mm -hmm. because that's the thing when you're making a song you have a nice melody then you feel like this needs a good sound then you dive into sound design then suddenly you're switching presets or, or switching out synths all the time and you get completely sidetracked so i like to even with sound design music production mixing i like to separate that all into individual blocks yeah they're they're each one of those can be such a deep rabbit hole and it's so easy to get distracted <laughs> yeah. if you're not disciplined with yourself. So I'm really glad yeah. to hear you say that. And I think our, hopefully our listeners will appreciate that because it happens to me all the time. And now more than ever, we have so many distractions between, yeah. uh, between our computer. If you're on your computer and you're obviously you are when you're working, do you turn off all social media access, all pop-ups, any type yes. of distraction yes. like that, right? Because I know for me that Definitely. if I don't do that, it just becomes another inevitable rabbit hole to waste your time on. I have that too. I love the do not disturb mode on my Mac and I put my phone in a flight mode. I do, I do want to say though, with this, there's also like when you talk about it like this, it, it starts to sound a little bit scaringly close to a regular working day. And of course it should still be fun as well. So I also notice that if I do this too much, I need to, I need to book two days, maybe two, yeah, two days, maybe every two weeks where I say, all right, today I'm going to do exactly what I feel like doing. And yeah. if I get lost in something, then I want to get lost in that something, yeah. but it, it just needs to be a balance because you also like, you don't, if you force yourself too much, you still need to you still need to enjoy it. That's the most important thing always. Having those free exploring days are really fun for me as well. And sometimes I end up doing something completely different than uh, like a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to make a new score, and then suddenly I was I thought it would be nice if this had some animation, and then I started to make some animation completely different but it was exactly what i wanted to do at that moment and that really keeps it fresh as well. that's great it allows you to follow your own flow too a big part of artistry can be found in allowing that flow to happen so there has to be yeah. a balance uh, i like to call it my creative time versus my managed time but i know exactly what uh, you're yeah, talking about yeah. So are, are there any favorite labels um, or artists that are inspiring you most these days? Uh, maybe even particularly from Berlin? Well, from Berlin, I really like Heck. It's H-E-C-Q. Mm -hmm. 
uh, one amazing artist. I also really like uh, Robert Koch, also from Berlin. Very, mm-hmm. both of them very dark, pretty experimental kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the of course, Eamon Tobin, and then Tim Hacker, Lorne. I really liked that recently for its dark science. Usually, it's dark electronic stuff, triphonic. It's the stuff that I like the most. Mm-hmm. And then lately, for my composition, I'm checking out some of the old school guys like the Beethoven and the Shostakovich. And, oh wow, uh, the classics, like, the real classics there. The classics, uh-huh. yeah. There's a, a lot of stuff hiding in there mm-hmm. that if you approach it from your sort of this modern age and if you compare it with things that are happening in, in electronic music, there there's actually a lot of parallels. So I've been getting more inspiration out of that than I initially thought I would. Like, for example, every EDM track will have this wide noise riser, right, or this pitch riser. Like, they, that's no different in a, in a Beethoven symphony, for example, where just before the drop, he would make sure that the, the melody notes are the highest melody note in that whole section, like the pitch rises in the same manner. Mm-hmm. Or that thing where they have a kick drum and they keep doubling it, where it's this duck, 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 to build of that speed just before going into something that's it's just the same in classical music but then it's called rhythmic acceleration or they always have a very fancy term for it mm-hmm. but it's actually just that thing that you already know but in a different form mm-hmm. so for so me it can be yeah, <laughs> yeah that as well yeah uh-huh. it can be very exciting or, and and uh, inspiring to to try to take those ideas and put them in a more like modern framework Fascinating. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting intersection there between the classical and the dark electronic. Yeah, it's still music. So the same, like the same tension and release, the, the same things are at work. The same principles are at work, just with completely different instrumentation and, and different mindsets. But you're still trying to achieve the same thing and the same, the energy flow is very similar. And then it's just about the, the tricks that you use. But other than that, it's, it's just the same. The theory still applies. And so tell us a little, yeah, tell us a little yeah. now about your home studio setup. Obviously you're spending a lot of time in there. What, what drive, what's at the heart center of your um, studio there in Berlin? Yeah, it has changed a lot because I moved around a lot as well. Right now, I'm mostly digital guy always. So most of my studio is hiding in like hundreds of different software applications that I use. But other than that, I'm for my main computer, I'm using a hacking torch as my main computer. Then I have uh, three displays, one for, for if I'm doing uh, film scoring, I can watch the, the movie. Another one for the analyzers. I need to always be watching analyzers uh, for some reason. And then I have my main yeah my main desktop and then other than that yeah i have a couple midi controls i have my arturia piano here which is the hammer action which i like i'm thinking about getting that dupfer piano as well as because i have one piano here for my for my live performance and i want to get another one for production but then that's pretty much it i have one other computer feeding into this computer and that might be a slightly interesting thing. I'm using the CPU power of two computers to combine them together to run my projects. But other than that, it's a pretty pretty standard setup, I think. But you're also you've also got some interesting controllers that you're using there too. And are those all reserved for live performance, yeah, or I, do you use them in your everyday studio setup as well? 
No, yeah, I use some of them for my, so I have this one that's interesting is this Keith McMillan controller, which is, there's the Roly keyboards and where they have the, the slides and the pitch bands on each individual. This is like an in-between, so you can actually press a note, which is just a piano key, but you can wiggle it left to the left and the right to change the tuning. Mm-hmm. I'm using that quite a lot because lately I found myself recording melodies a lot more often, and I found that being able to control the pitch on a per note basis in a little bit more accuracy than with a pitch wheel can be very beneficial. So I'm using that a lot. And then I have this Livid bass controller. I'm using that one mostly with Ableton. Can you show that it to has us? A couple of For anybody who's watching yeah, this on yeah, video, take a look at it. This is a pretty cool box look, here. Looks looks fancy as well right now because it has the Ableton. You can see oh, yeah. Ableton clips and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it has... The nice thing about this is that it has three different main maps, like you have a loop mode and then you have an instrument mode and a device mode where these faders control device parameters. Mm-hmm. But then you also have some custom modes with which I've set up with CliffX to do specific things like change the change the loop value for a looper, for example, or this is like the experimental stuff. So I can just push some buttons and usually it will be pretty random, but I'm pretty much always recording the output so then when I get something cool I can capture that and can use that later mm. and then yeah one thing that I'm not using it much anymore but I used to love my uh, Tempest drum machine I actually made some full tracks on that are released as well like all from within the drum machine and it's just a nice thing to sometimes step away from the screen for a second I should probably do that more often yeah. with live events on indefinite hold are you thinking about getting into streaming and doing some streaming performances now and do you think they'll continue to be as popular even after the pandemic passes i think so i don't know what's going to change but i think it like things like this it's a good it's a good way to to go like a step up in innovation i think because now a lot of people are going to do live performances and you got to come with something cool so i think it will accelerate the process of getting more professional, interesting, and maybe even more experimental live streams as well. So that's also something I'm playing. I was actually already planning on that. I got my nice uh, live streaming camera. And for me, I'm very happy here in my studio. So live streaming was already on my radar. And I th- yeah, I think it will... I think it will stay the same actually. It's just a cool thing to be able to to quickly watch someone that actually plays live. You get a little bit of that sense of connection that you sometimes miss with just listening to a track. You you get like that slight feeling that you have at a live show as well, but without the inconvenience of actually having to go there. You can quickly, in your break between your piano and guitar playing, you can quickly watch some new ideas. It can inspire you and then you can move on with your with your, with your day. So I like that aspect of it. Of course, it, if it's interesting enough, I think if you just hit play on something, then it's similar to watching or listening on SoundCloud. But if there's really something visual and you feel the connection with the musician, then I think it will stay for a while. Yeah, we're looking forward to hosting a live stream with you here in the very, very near future. Me too. Yeah. So just going back to your studio setup for a minute, your DAW of choice, is that still Ableton or do you dabble with other DAWs as well? Yeah, my main production DAW for this for this album is uh, Logic. And then I'm using Reason now as well because I like the sort of analog vibe that it has. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, obviously Ableton 
Ableton is always a very safe bet. I'm using that. Ableton is nice and creative, so I don't use that a lot for big sort of movie scores or projects with very high track counts, but I use it to come up with ideas and to play around, and I really love Ableton for that, mm -hmm. as well as, of course, everything that I do live, I couldn't do without Ableton for sure. But actually, if you're asking about my main... Lately, I'm really, I really got interested in uh, Reaper as well. So I'm like one of those guys that, that wants to try all of the DAWs, which takes a lot of time, unfortunately, learning. And you'll, you see what's nice in each one of them. And the more you check out, the more difficult it becomes to choose. But I'm thinking Reaper will be, for the coming years, my, my go-to. Yeah, it's funny because I find uh, DAWs are my girlfriends. They're a big commitment each one of them, but each one of them can have uh, different upsides and benefits. And yeah, being loyal to your well. DAW can sometimes be challenging because obviously they do all have different functionalities, particularly yeah, working in that... Logic. I know how powerful Logic is, particularly in scoring for picture. We're putting out a whole series of Logic classes right now. And one of our former alumni is putting together a Logic scoring for picture class and we all agreed that logic was the right tool for that yeah yeah logic is that's so that's one of the things that i do a lot in logic is great with 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 a lot of things but then really horrible with very few other things and that's i often find that like every does a lot of great things and they have one or two things that i'm like oh, i wish it was different maybe this is what makes me switch all the time but it is true that it's a very big commitment some even more than others like they're and they're not all intuitive as well and some of them they decide to be creative and they take a completely new approach where oh, I, I thought i just learned this but now they use something way different so it's, it's always a time investment it's always you have to want you have to ask yourself if it's worth it. For me, the thing I had this music teacher once, and this was at the very beginning of my of my sort of music production career, and I I didn't know at all which DAW I should to choose at that point. So I said I have Logic, but now I also see Ableton, and both of them look very interesting. Which one should I choose? And he told me, well, why should you choose? You're planning on doing this for the rest of your life, so you might as well learn both. <laughs> now I've been trying to use that approach, although. It is still challenging at at a point because your speed just goes down. That's the thing. I mean, you still know how to create music if you how to make nice music if you switch DAWs, but it's just that you're it takes you twice as long in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the tricky part. And then part. you can start to confuse the key commands. Is what I've noticed too. Quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's well. We teach uh, three primary DAWs. We teach at Pyraminder, Pro Tools, Logic, and Ableton. And when you're learning all yeah. three at the same time, it can be challenging to keep those things separate in your mind. But yeah. I, I, I do agree if the, you're making this your life, you definitely, it's worth knowing uh, at least a, a good level of detail on each of them. And then yeah. decide, that way you can know what's right for the particular application that you're trying to get done. Yeah. Also, if you want to, if you ever want to get like a job in that, let's say you want to work as an engineer somewhere, it's those skills are going to be really helpful. It's really good for your uh, CV in that manner as well. Hugely. Especially those big, the big guys like the Pro Tools and uh, Logic and Ableton. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself having to rely on any one of those three at any given time over the course of my career yeah. in the studio. Yeah, me too. Um, but having a strong foundation in Pro Tools, I think definitely, for for me, certainly set the precedent. Although, I got to say, in the early days, we were working on MIDI sequencers way, way early. I don't know if you remember companies like Opcode and Studio Vision, but we were, those were 
hands down tools of choice back in those days. But uh, times yeah. evolve, technology evolves, companies change. So that being said, do you have any favorite synths or plugins you want to share with us that you that are your go-to? Yeah, lots of them actually. I'm uh, sure like, you must. I'm, like, yeah. I'm, what, I'm let's say, give me your top three in each category. Top three synths. Top three plugins. Okay, and with categories, you just we're talking... can't go without when you're creating music. Okay, that's a statement. That's a broad statement. Say, yeah, I would say like for making music at the end of the day, you need very little if you have a great idea, but it can still be a lot of fun messing around with this. I like Madrona Labs. I really love the company like Kaivo, Alto, that stuff. Some of my favorites since applied acoustics with uh, chromophone and with uh, Strum Studio, I think it's called. Yeah, those are some of my favorites. Then Alchemy, I always had Alchemy was one of the first synths that I learned when it was uh, still Camel Audio and then later bought by Logic or by Apple. That's such a powerful synth. Has been has been a favorite for a very long time. I also really like Sculpture, Logic's uh, physical modeling synth, very experimental. I usually like it when synths are a little bit weird or a little bit, yeah, a little bit out there. Another one which is very obscure is uh, Meta Synth by this. It's a synth that doesn't even take MIDI input, it works with pixels and it translates pixels into sound and the colors are like pan position and the brightness of the color is loudness. So you can basically paint a picture and you can listen to what it sounds like. You can do some amazing creative things with that as well. Yeah, so those are some of my favorites plugins and synths. In terms of software, lately I've really started to get very interested in this Opus Modus, which is a coding language designed specifically for composition. You could do some very weird, cool stuff with that as well in the category favorite software. Mm. Fascinating. Opus modus. And is this ha does this have to do with the type of self-evolving, self-generating music you were talking about earlier? Yes. Yeah. It, you can do traditional stuff with it as well, but it's, it's, they call this parametric composition, a very fancy term. And the idea is that if you put like a MIDI note in some MIDI editor, what you have is like, you have the note length and then you have the pitch. And then in a lot of cases you have the velocity and that's all like one, that's all in one event. It's a one MIDI note that provides the, those three different types of information to the synth or whatever is uh, being driven by the sequencer. Mm -hmm. But with this, with parametric composition, you work on each of these um, elements separately and then you can combine them. So you could, for example, make a list of five different durations and then uh, a list of 12 different pitches and then you can map them together. So they're going to keep cycling around in a new order because of their different lengths. And then you could use something like white noise to create a pattern for your velocity and then you can map that pattern onto the pitch. So you work with with all of the aspects of music, like timbre, duration, pitch, loudness, you work with all of that separately and then you can combine it in different ways. So it's sometimes very unpredictable what will happen if you combine everything together again. And it's it very often, it just gives great ideas, things that you otherwise would have never thought about just because you the process is so different. Mm. So that has been very fascinating to me lately. And then how do you interact with that in terms of your compositional work? Does that, do you generate sample files based on the iterative generation of those, uh, of that kind of MIDI responsive music and capture it and bring it into a DAW? How do you interact with yeah, that? Yeah, so the, 
That has been the challenge. So the software, it can just send out MIDI. So you can send it to DAW and then you can load your load your instruments there. But it is true because mostly it's very much based on the actual score. Like the main goal of the program is to create a score for you, which is just an XML file of a written score. And that is... Of course, a score is, is not music, it's just instructions for, for music. So then the next step is to get that, yeah, to actually figure out which sounds you want to use and which synths you want to use on that. So usually, lately I've been, like like I mentioned before, that, that whole composition thing where you just write something and you're not concerned about the sound in, in a way that has been very liberating for me because as a sound designer, I still consider myself mostly a sound designer, I used to start with a great sound and then I needed to find some notes or melodies to, to use that sound for. But that that always drove me into the same area with my music. So now I wanted to see if I can do the exact opposite where I start with like great melodies, great harmonies, and I map out the song, but very dry. Like sometimes I'm just using saw waves for the whole song, for my bass, for my just plain old nasty sounding saw waves to just get the, all the melodies, all the harmonies, and then you can really clearly hear the harmonics. And then once I have that all laid out, I will then choose different sounds. And this helps me to not get stuck halfway as well, because you're you have your whole sort of roadmap already there. You have your whole plan there, and then you can just produce it later. It's a challenge, though. Have you been using this process in the development of your own, of the album that you're, you've been working on now? Yeah, loosely. I, it, it was, I started to learn about this during the... I was already a little bit getting out of the creative phase on my album. I was getting more into where you need to spend hours and hours mixing and doing mid-side processing on individual hi-hat hits and <laughs> going totally crazy with that. Mm -hmm. So it was already at, at the latest, but I used it to, at some points with some tracks, I got a little bit stuck and then I usually turn through that and then I try to come up with some new melodic ideas and then I, I print some MIDI files from that so you can just create MIDI files and then I change out some melodies in the original tracks, but mostly that was still made during my old, like previous approach, which is very much relies on, on sound design more than harmony, because the two are tricky to combine sometimes as well, because if you have a very nice, impressive, full sound, it often doesn't work as well if you play, if you play a very fancy dissonant chord with that, like things get in each other's way quickly. But I'm planning on using it more for sure. It's yeah, it seems it requires like, a new approach. Yeah, well, with somebody like yourself who's so multi-talented, obviously you seem like you're pretty self-sufficient in your process of um, being creative and being technical. But that being said, do you are you working with any other collaborators on your new album? And do you enjoy the process of collaboration as well? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that that thing, I like to figure out all the different pieces of the puzzle and learn about that. But I it's just lately that I started to notice the, the importance of actually having some other people as well that can tell you when you make, made something that's really horrible or that can tell you <laughs> a thing that you would have never thought about yourself. So for my live set, I'm working uh, with this guy here in Berlin, AKE is his, his artist name. And he like his music is so different than mine. And that 
at first I thought, okay, why should I work with this guy? I have my whole thing going on. But he convinced me and said, hey man, you have like great music. We have both have like a certain darkness in the music, but in very different directions. And then after just uh, like a couple of weeks of, of playing with him, I really started to come up with new things and it really pushed me in a new direction as well. So now... I definitely want to do that more now. I often get these, uh, I'm sure you get them as well, the one call that bro SoundCloud messages. I'm thinking I'm going to go, I might respond to some more of them sometimes to get into new creative spheres because I've neglected the importance of that for too long. Mm -hmm. So now I need to, I have some catching up to do there. Mm -hmm. And how are you doing that, particularly in this time of sequestering and us having to social distance, even though I hate that word social distancing. I wish they just call it physical distancing because <laughs> you and I are socializing right now, but we're yeah. physically distant, right? Yeah. Something about that. I thought about that just today. Uh -huh. I really, I thought that's, yeah, that's a weird, it's term. a misnomer. Uh, let's just agree on that. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing the collaborative part now, knowing that's the case? So most of my collaborations are always online, sending files back and forth. And of course you have some some things for that, like the, the supplies and the project sharing applications. But mostly I find it just comes down to sending ideas and stems back and forth. This is also where that learning or at least knowing different DOS comes in very handy because I've worked with a guy that used only Reaper. Then I work with another guy that used only Ableton. You want to be able to dive in and, and change those ideas as well. Mm -hmm. And for the live performance, I'm uh, just meeting the guy in person and we're just jamming out here. We have a little bit of a physical distance, but right mostly, there in, the, in your studio, yeah. Berlin, that, that yeah, doesn't yeah, look yeah. like the biggest of rooms here. I, I noticed you got a bike leaning up against the wall, right? Yeah, that's um, that's because the other room is even smaller, so that's why the bike <laughs> needs to be here. But yeah, but we're both in, we're both like, other than that, we're pretty isolated, mm -hmm. so yeah. I think it will be fine. And, it was worth the risk for the music. Plus, we were already playing and like on a nice, we were on a nice roll with that. So at the beginning of this whole situation, we kept a couple, like a month or two total isolation. And we thought, okay, this is this is a nice moment to start up again. Mm -hmm. And then all the other stuff, it's, yeah, it's mostly just online based, sending files back and forth, doing video calls, talking about ideas. Sometimes I, I will record something uh, on guitar or I will ask a guitar player somewhere else to record something for me if it's too tricky. So that's it. Yeah, those minor collaborations, that's uh, mostly what I'm doing. That's cool. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the results of this. I've certainly been able to hear some recordings of uh, the album in process now and some that we'll uh, share with our listeners here today but then also the some of the stems that you share in the class tell us about that because you set up a pretty robust Ableton session with a big Ableton template with your Ableton live class tell us a little bit about that so people can know what to yeah. expect when they dive into this class with you yeah I, th I thought it would be interesting because so that that lives that I've used tracks from both this guy that I'm collaborating with and he makes this sort of dark poppy kind of music. It's pretty straight four to the floor kind of stuff, but it has a dark vibe and then, and then there's my own stuff, which is more, it's less rhythmical, which makes it more of a challenge in a live situation. So mm -hmm. that would be interesting to combine those two. And then all the tracks are cut up in different stems. He's using the same stem system that 
I've been using, which is where you separate your uh, drums, your bass, your melodies, your pads, and your vocals, if there are any. And this allows me also to, to quickly take out the melody and then play some things myself. Getting Just having faders for those like five groups, that's already a thing that can really help you explore a lot in a live scenario, in a live situation. Yeah. Um, so that's what, what the file will be like. It's I believe it's six tracks in total, and then there's those five stems, and they're all cut in mostly eight-bar pieces for his tracks more than mine. Mine are more like the cuts are where it seems appropriate because there's a lot of signature changes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it will be a good one to play around with because it's you can do very advanced things with it, but you can also learn the basics with the more straightforward tracks. Great. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into there. I've certainly had a lot of fun with the class. It's helped me redesign my approach to live performance as I've been setting up a new live set myself. So, uh, All right, so you're using CliffX now as well? <laughs> no, I haven't gotten into CliffX quite, but I've done a lot of just setting up a lot of follow actions in the Clip Launch series. And then so helping me automate the live performance and then choosing what to automate and what to actually do exactly. live yeah. and spending a lot of time designing effects racks, which you go into a, a good amount of depth with as well. And I think it's yeah. really cool the way you uh, highlight the fact that effects racks can really speak to your sound and the kind of way you want to express yourself in a live performance situation. Yeah. Maybe tell us a little bit about that in terms of how you approach your design of effects. Yeah, for me, it's, a, it's the same with sound design in general. It's whenever you play a melody on a piano or a guitar or whatever, you choose the notes because those are the, the notes that at that point or that moment in time you like the most. So it's it's it doesn't get more personal than that. Like any melody that you play, like it's exactly because that's those are the notes that you want to use at that point. And for me with sound design is the same. If I'm making something, even if it's just a, a simple subtractive one oscillator synth, I, I set the filter cutoff there because I liked it the most at that point. So every sound that you design and every little aspect of that is is your decision and that, makes it so much more your own. And I feel like that's the same way with those device racks. And of course you can go with some pre-made device and there's some really great ones out there and I use them sometimes as well. But it's really nice to, to, to this, this quote, right? I forgot how it goes, but that music, like great musicians, it's just because they have a great taste. I don't know exactly how it goes, but <laughs> for me, that's the same. It's a little bit the same. Like the more things you can influence with your taste, the more personal it becomes. And that's why I like making those devices. So usually what I will do, of course, there's also the, the technical sort of tricky part, is, which is that you need to, especially in a live situation, you need to manage your CPU and it shouldn't go too crazy. So there's some limitations there, but generally what I do is I'll take a section of music and then I'm really going to go all in with different effects and third-party stuff and automating different things, combining different effects until I, I find something that really works for that section. Then I'm going to try if it works for other sections as well. If it does, then I, I found myself a new device rack parameter. And I, I will usually have a couple of them. I Right now I have three or four that I use all the time, but they're they're very flexible. There's this sort of roughly two categories where this is also actually one of those things that I learned from the guy that I'm collaborating with. He said, well, you have all these fancy effects, but where is your low-pass filter? And I found that just <laughs> having a regular low-pass filter also 
just really helps. So now they're separated in utility racks that are there for arrangement-based purposes. So something like filtering for me is very arrangement-based because you can take the energy down and then you can introduce a new track or something like that. And then there are the creative effects that are yeah that are there to tell or show the audience what the stuff that I like and just the more creative stuff. Yeah, like the beat repeats maybe, the delays, the different kinds of delays, reverbs. Yeah, I like, okay, okay, you want me to go specific? One thing that I like, for example, is I have this combination of uh, a reverb with a comb filter and then a uh, side chaining compression thing. So, what I can do is I can take like the last part of a drum loop, uh, I'll use a reverb with a very long decay, like 30 seconds decay, uh, so that it trails out and it becomes this white noise. And then I can use a comb filter on that to give that a sense of pitch, which I can then tune to, to guide it into my new track. And then I can use the side chain to get that rhythmically pumping so you can take one single drum hit extend it through means of reverb or delay and then melodize it in some way and then introduce it again into your next track so there are a lot of things like that a lot of combinations that i like i also really love delays with pitch shifters or just regular grain delays so that you can mess around with the frequency of the repeats i like the typical this is more of a standard one the flangers on reverbs always sounds good to me make for great transition elements too right yeah, track yeah. Track. it's nice to be able to extend something. Mm -hmm. It gives you some time to go to a next section. It's the same with rhythmic effects. Another thing that I'm actually, I want to experiment more with this week. I was playing the live set last week and I thought it would be nice if I can have a more if I can differentiate between a more staccato sound and a more sustained sound more often. So now I'm experimenting with different tremolos, presets to different intervals so that you can take your pads. Like I have this sort of cinematic music in a lot of cases, which has cellos and just long sustained sounds. But if you chop those up using, for example, a beat repeat or, or more simply a, a tremolo, you can suddenly get a sense of energy and rhythm into that section that before you can take something from, from sounding majestic to more rhythmic and more percussive and more suitable in general for a live situation. Yeah, that, that's how I like to explore different effects. Mostly I'm thinking, okay, what will this, how can I use this to give my songs a new direction or a new energy or to make a transition? Yeah, well, that's great. I know uh, we're going to be doing a webinar with you in the coming week, and I'll be excited to delve deeper into some of this subject matter with you in the webinar, talking yeah. more specifically about how you do these things and how you're integrating them into your own live set, which I know we'll get to see a bit of as well when we do uh, our live stream coming up with you too. So excited about both those things. So maybe as we move to wrap up here, and this has been an awesome conversation, why don't you just tell us a little bit about wh what's keeping you motivated these days and what are you most excited about in uh, the coming months ahead for your? <laughs> the, the months for your, future your. Once and I future think, your. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what I like, yeah, it's, it's mostly the same thing. Like I, I really... I'm really excited now by by this live playing and also the live streaming and getting more invitations for that. And it's good because I have been in the studio for for a long time just making 
albums and like a couple of years ago i totally forgot about that live set aspect i've played live before but then it's nice because you're so close to the music so i'm very excited to do a lot more live performing now and experimenting more with that also with some of the album songs actually because i had some that were in this place where it was like ah, I'm, I'm not sure where i could take this so i decided to just bounce stems from those like half finished songs i put the stems in ableton i'm just gonna mess around until i come up with a new like completely new arrangement in a lot of cases based on those drum loops from that from the old project and the melodic loops and stuff like that uh, so that has been really fun because you can throw your own music in the meat grinder and make it completely different and explore more basically rather than doing this very detailed work that i'm that i often fall victim to so that's one very exciting thing and then i want to do mo more uh, movie scoring as well last year i did a um, documentary score which i really like some mountain climbing documentary and with beautiful like drone footage and i thought okay this is not having a, a picture and then you're going to score to that suddenly you're not the most important player anymore and you're there to to support something and it gives a, a really different you start to think about a lot of things very differently and that for me opened up a lot of doors as well so i'm excited about that and then yeah lastly the the algorithmic stuff it's it's it confuses me a lot but that's what i i find fascinating so far is there are some things and i still haven't figured out like how to do it and that that sort of keeps me going in that area Ah, yes, the pursuit of knowledge, something yes, hopefully yeah. we never stop doing. Life is forever the opportunity to learn and grow. And this has been a learning and growing experience, certainly for myself and hopefully for you, the listener out there. Thank you, Yor. This has been a, a great opportunity to get to know you better and certainly a great opportunity to tell folks about you and this great class that you've put together with us at uh, Pure Mind Online. So we're going to finish out here with uh, a piece of your album that you so generously shared with me. So I'm going to play this out for our listeners. Thanks again for joining us today, Yor. And thank you. Of course. You're very welcome. Yeah. And uh, wishing you all the best over there in Berlin. Stay safe. And, and as always, stay creative. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Remember, if you have a guest suggestion or want to contact me for any reason, we have a contact form on the Mentor My Mix website. That's MentorMyMix.com. Or feel free to email me at Greg at MentorMyMix.com. Special thanks to Quinn Grodzins for the theme music and audio editing, Josh Valdez and Sean McKenna for audio and video production, and Corice Joubert for video editing and post-production. Thank <laughs> you.